I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love the time of year of Christmas. I like the songs of Christmas. I love the decorations of Christmas, the traditions of Christmas. I love the family and the friends of Christmas. I love the food of Christmas. And you might say, well, what what are the foods of Christmas? Turkey, ham, tamales, steaks, pie, cinnamon rolls, deviled eggs, gravy, pie, fudge, mashed potatoes, green bean casserole, roast, tamales. I already say that one. Don't you love that really any food can be a food of Christmas? I'm like, well, what are y'all having at your house? Any food can be the food of Christmas. I love, love Christmas. Let me just tell you something. I have noticed something uh, with the passing of time. I watch them sing, and I think uh, how soon that was that my kids were right there, how fast time goes by. Well, I've noticed something with the passing of time. The reasons I love Christmas are changing. In fact, I think they are getting better if that is possible. I love Christmas, love all the things of Christmas, but I have noticed with the passing of time, I love Christmas, and the reason that I love Christmas, the reasons for that, um, they're changing. They're, they're, they're different, and I'll just tell you, the reasons that I love Christmas are actually getting better. Today, I'm going to preach a Christmas message out of verses that I have never preached for Christmas. I have preached Christmas messages. Uh, You have heard them, a whole series of them for all these years uh, out of Isaiah. I've preached a couple of Christmas messages out of Micah. I've preached many of them out of Matthew, many, many more out of Luke. Uh, Even one year preached out of Galatians. Uh, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, Galatians chapter four. Well, today I'm going to preach a Christmas message on verses I have never used at Christmas. And we are going to see, now let me just tell you this, I'll just, I'll just tell you, I'm almost scared to say it. We're gonna see the greatest thing about Christmas. Now those are, those are big words, that's a big order, but I'm gonna tell you from these verses, I believe we're gonna see the greatest single thing about Christmas. Our message is entitled, The Greatest Thing About Christmas. We're in John chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. There's a tremendous section there in the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 14 and read the very first part of the 14th verse. So John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then moving down to verse 14, the first part of the verse. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of the Word of God. All right, here we go. John chapter one says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, the first part of the verse says this, and the word became flesh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and we rejoice right now. We're thankful right now. We're thankful for the hope that we have in a risen Savior. We're thankful for the peace that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin that we have in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Lord, I'm thankful for these words today and I, I pray as we have gathered today that right now it would truly be a supernatural event. And I pray any, any hindrance, any distraction will be set down, any, anything we carried into this service, any sin, any resentment, any anger, anything that would keep you from speaking to us, I, I pray that we would set it down and I pray that you would speak to us this morning. And I pray as we see uh, your word, your truth, that we would be encouraged, that we would be emboldened, that we would be uplifted. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, that there will be some that will be saved. And I pray, Lord, that in, the, in the supernatural movement of God, that the greatest thing that would happen this morning is that Jesus Christ would be exalted. Lord, move in our midst. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Now today I'm going to ask that you stay right with me as we pass through some of the deepest verses, some of the most profound verses in our understanding of God and his work of salvation. And I'll just tell you, these verses are deep. Uh, crazily so, and so I'm going to ask this morning that you would stay right with me as we move through these verses. In these verses, the Apostle John is beginning his account of the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, now let's move through this. In our verses, the Apostle John is beginning his account of the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is drastically different than the start of the other gospel accounts. In fact, I will tell you this morning, I believe it is radically different than the start of the other gospel accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we have the question, as we, as we move into John's gospel, what is John saying in his start? Or what is John trying to prove in his start. Now, I want you to keep those questions in mind. As we move into this Gospel of John, what is it that John is saying? What is it that John is proving in this start? Now, let me just tell you this. We could spend six months, I truly believe it, in this first chapter of John. Uh, you remember we spent seven years in Luke, so I believe we could do that. We could spend six months in this first chapter and I'll tell you, I believe we'd be blessed in it. I was looking, we could spend three weeks in this first verse, I believe it. We could spend three weeks in this first verse. There is way more, there is a depth here, a richness that is here, there is way more here than we're gonna pass through in this hour. But I want us to focus on this singular question this morning. What is John saying in his start? What is John trying to prove in his start. Now, let me just tell you this. Buckle your seatbelts as we move into it. All right, beginning in the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh, my lands, how deep is that? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. That's how it starts. The subject of our verses 
The subject is the Word. It is the Word. Where the Gospel of Mark starts with John the Baptist and then the baptism of Jesus, where the Gospel of Matthew starts with the genealogy and then the birth of Jesus, where where the Gospel of Luke starts with the promise of John the Baptist and the announcement of Jesus, John starts with the subject of the Word. He begins with the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now, the word for beginning here is a Greek word that means origin or start. Origin or start. In the origin, at the origin, in the start was the word. Now, the word was is a verb in the imperfect tense, meaning there is a continual action past, meaning continually was, continually was. Now, what does this mean? It means this. When the beginning happened, the word already was. Now, that's what that first phrase means. When the beginning happened, when the the point of origin happens, at the point of the beginning, the word already existed. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, at the start of Scripture, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so this is talking exactly about that. It is saying at that place, at that point, in the beginning, this word, the word, already existed. All right, here's what that means. It means the word is eternal. That's what that means. The first phrase, the word is eternal. The word does not have a start. The word does not have a place or a point or a time of origin. But rather it is saying here in the very first line, the word is eternal. Friends, get this. Who alone is eternal? Who alone is self-existent? That's what this means. Who alone has no start? Here's what it's saying. The Word is God. The Word is God. All right, it moves on. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the word was with God. Now, remember, I said this is going to be complicated. It's going to be complex. Well, here it is. And the word was with God. Now, the, the Greek phrase here is proston theos. Proston theos. It, it, what it means is two personal beings are facing one another. Now, listen, this is very important. It means two personal beings are facing one another. Now, the, the most literal translation is two individuals face to face. Two individuals face to face. And so understand what, what it's saying here is there is the Word, and the Word is God, but the Word is not God the Father. The Word, He is an individual, and He is separate from God the Father. And so understand in, in the complexity of this, there are two persons here. Now we have a Trinitarian God. We know that. We believe that. Well, there are two persons already here in this first verse. John is showing us that. 
Now we need to see a couple things here. Some folks have this distorted. Be sure and understand this. The word is not a piece of God. The word is not a phase of God. The word is not a stage or evolution of God. No, the word is God and he is face to face with God the Father. Now, as deep as that is, as as heavy as that is, in case it starts to get unclear here or maybe preparing for all the heretics and what they're gonna say of this verse, he gives an answer. And, And John clearly gives the answer, states the answer in the rest of the verse. And the word was God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, face to face with the Father, and the word was God. Now, I want you to notice here, it doesn't say he was a God. It doesn't say he was divine, another God, just also another God. It does not say that he is like God. It says that the word was and continually is God eternally so. Now see again from that verb tense, that continual verb tense. He was God, going back that way. There's no starting place of that. He is infinitely God. And so see this, verse one, we're gonna go very quickly, but over and over and over, it is stating the word is God. That is is what John is saying, the word is God. That is what he is revealing in this first verse, the word is God. It is not ambiguous here. It is not unclear here. Some would like for it to be. The word is eternal. The word is infinite. The word is God. All right, verse two. He was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, this is a restatement of part of verse one. In fact, as we move to the first chapter, you're gonna see several restatements. He is re-emphasizing some things as we pass through the verses. It is a redeclaration of part of the first verse. Again, it says, he was, the word was, in the beginning, at the point of origin, he was eternally face-to-face with God. He was eternally face-to-face with God the Father. Now, we could go crazy right here, and, and it would be easy to say, you know what, uh, let's break this down a little bit, a little bit uh, smaller details and look at it more close, uh, closely. We could go crazy, but I, I want you to just to see one picture in this verse. The Word, the individual of the Word, and God the Father are eternal in fellowship. That's where we find them. They are, they are eternal in their unity. Now that's gonna become important when we get to the the point of the cross, but when we find the word, the word is face to face. He is eternal in unity with God the Father. What a wonderful picture that is. And the word was with God, eternally in fellowship. All right, verse three. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, Nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, the world hates this verse. The world wants to discredit this verse. The world wants to belittle this verse, but here's what it says. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come 
into being. Now, first we've seen the word is eternal. Now we have seen the word is self-existent. Then we have seen the word is infinite. The word is eternal. Well, now as we get to the third verse, we see the word is creator. The word is creator. Verse three says, all things came into being through him. And it goes on further, if that leaves any doubt in your mind, and nothing, not one thing, exists apart from him. He is the creator of all. The word is creator. He is responsible for all creation. The word is the means of all existence. Now, I want you to start to see the drumbeat here. I want you to start to see how this is interlacing here. As we progress to the first and the second, and now we move to the third verse, I want you to see how this definition, how this understanding is intertwining here. Do you hear this? Who alone is eternal? Who alone is infinite? Friends, and now who alone can create? Do you understand that? Who alone can create? Who alone is responsible for all of creation? And the point as it moves through is God alone, God alone, God alone. Who's responsible for creation? God is. The psalmist says, who put the stars in the sky? We're gonna stand out underneath them on, on Thursday night. Who put the stars in the sky? Who gave them each a name? The psalmist says, who makes the grass to grow? Who gives the field, the, the beasts of the field their food? Verse three, again, we see the word is God. He's the creator. All right, verse four. In him, the word, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him, now this is John's subject again, the word, in the word was life. Now again, it is that continual tense of the verb, continual past. It means that he always was. He always is. He infinitely is so. Now, the word for life is the Greek word zoe, zoe. It is a word. Now, there are several Greek words for life. There's biological life. There's other, other words that are used for life. But this is a word that means spiritual life or eternal life. And so the, first, the fourth verse says, in this word was life. Continually so, infinitely so. It means he possesses life. Life is not outside of him, but rather life is in him. The word is the embodiment of, the possessor of life. Now the verse goes on and says, the life was the light. Now it is interesting that the, the tail end of that verse, it is the same construct of verse one. The word was God. So the word is God. The word, the same as, the same essence. Uh, you can go back and forth. The word was God. God was the word. The same essence. Well, it is that same construct when you get now to the fourth verse. The life was the light. The life is the light. It is the same thing, the same essence. And so you could switch it around. The life is the light and the light is the life. Now, let me, just, let me just say this again. 
we could go down some terrific, glorious rabbit trails right here. And I'll just tell you, I'd love to. I would love to. If y'all don't have anywhere to be till three or four o'clock, that's what I'd love to do. I'd love to talk this through. I'd love to break that verse out. And I'd like to talk about the light. I'd like to talk about the life. I would like to talk about the infinite possessor of both of those. We could go down some, some glorious rabbit trails here, but I'm gonna stick to the point that John is making here. See this very carefully. Listen very carefully. Who is the possessor of life? Who is the possessor of life? Now, I want you to see why is it important that this now falls in the fourth verse? And it's, it's been building the whole way. It's been stacking the whole way. There's necessary ingredients in the preceding verses for the declaration of the fourth verse. Who is the possessor of life? Well, listen to me. It can only be the one who is eternal. Do you see that? The possessor of life can only be the one who is eternal. You can't be created. You can't have a starting place and be the possessor of life. It can only be the one who is self-existent. Do you understand that's necessary? The, the possessor of life has to be self-existent. The possessor of life has to be infinite. Now, all other things taper off. All other things wear out. All other things run off, but not our God. He is infinite, and to be the possessor of life, you have to be infinite. You have to, to be the creator, the, the giver of life, you have to be the possessor of life. Does that make sense? You can only give life in verse three if you're the possessor of life in verse four. That's how it has to be. He is eternal, yes. He is infinite, yes. He is creator, yes. But he can only be those things if he is the possessor of life. He is the creator of verse three because he's the possessor of life in verse four. It has to be. And so today, who is the eternal, self-existent, infinite creator, giver of life? Here is what John has gone to great detail. Here's what God through John is revealing. It is God. It is God. He is eternal. He alone is self-existent. He alone is infinite. He alone, therefore, can be the only creator and the giver of life. It is God. The clear message that John is making here, the important message that's going to be important in a second that John is making here is the word is God. The word is God in verse one. The word is God reinforced in verse two. The word is God reinstated in verse three. The word is God re reestablished in verse four. The word is God, the word is God. John wants us to be certain of it, be sure of it. The word is God. And so what is the greatest part of Christmas? And so what is the greatest part of Christmas? Verse 14. And the word became flesh. Oh, man. <laughs> Stay with me. That is tremendous. That is so marvelous. And the word became 
flesh. He's gone out to these fourth verses. He's going to go over some more verses and he's let us know the word is God. There is no doubt. The word is God. There is no uncertainty. The word is God. There is no other way to define it. The word is God. And the greatest thing of Christmas in verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. All right, listen. And is a Greek conjunction that means indeed or certainly. Isn't it funny how God makes it clear? He doesn't say however. He doesn't say in addition to. He says certainly. Certainly the word became flesh. That's verse 14. Indeed the word became flesh. Flesh, we could spend a lot of time here. I'm going to go fast. Flesh in the Greek translates, listen very carefully, body, and the word God became body, it translates of human origin, human. It translates a fellow person. Listen, it's going somewhere. A fellow person, get this, listen very carefully. The word flesh in the Greek carries this meaning. It means kindred, skin like us. Do you understand that? Do you understand how marvelous it is? It doesn't say he became, he became this, he became that. It says, and certainly God became skin like us, our kindred. Listen very carefully. People in our sin... We need a savior. Oh, that's, that's lost today in all of our world, our materialistic world, our distracted world, even our pseudo-religious practice. The world today, we need a savior. We need a savior. Hear me, listen, the world wants to deny that. The world wants us to overlook that. The world wants us to forget that. Even this morning, we need a savior. Listen, you need a savior, I need a savior. Without a savior, I bear the guilt of my sin. It is my guilt, it is my sin, and I bear the guilt for it. Without a savior, I'm steeped in the shame of my sin, all the ugly filth, the shame. It is mine and it's due of me, and I bear the shame for sin. Without a savior, we are condemned. Listen, the Bible says judged already. We're not waiting for a later date. We're not waiting to see if we can tip the scales without a Savior. You are and I am. We're condemned. We're judged already guilty in our sin. Without a Savior, listen to me. We are literally dead men walking. Without a Savior, I, I want to make this plain today. You have no hope. Oh, what if I get a better job? Oh, what if I square this away? What if I beat this addiction? What if I pull it off? Listen, without a savior, come what may, come whatever you may do, you have no hope. Without a savior, we have no future. Without a savior, we have no peace. No peace will ever be found, not in your home, not in your soul, and not with a holy God. Without a savior, there is no peace. And I want you to understand, without a savior, it shall be eternally so. We need a savior. And our savior has to be a man. You see, the blood of animals will not do it. We need a man, we need a person. 
We need a kindred, a kinsman, redeemer, one with skin like us. Our savior has to be a man. The payment for sin is death and a man must pay it. Our savior must be a man. Listen very carefully. And the problem is this. A man can't do it. Outside of a savior, we're lost. Outside of a savior, we're perishing. Outside of a savior, we have no future, no hope. We need a savior, but a man can't do it. It has to be a man, but a man can't do it. The savior has to overpower sin to be perfect, and man can't do it. The savior has to provide an infinite, limitless salvation enough for all people in all times. The savior has to be infinite. Listen, the problem is man can't do that. The savior has to overpower death and to overpower death, you have to possess life. Listen, we can't do that, God can do that. Man can't overpower death. The savior has to be a man, but he must also be God. Listen, God must act, God alone can save. That's why all the generations, we've cast our eyes to the hills, where from our help come from? We need God to act. And so here's the deal today, here's the truth today. The word is God. The word is eternal. The word is infinite. The world is creator. The word is the possessor and the giver of life. The word is God. And the best thing of Christmas is this, and the word became flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Listen, dear friend, John's gospel is not different at all. The start of, God, of John's gospel is the good news, the same good news of Matthew and Mark's gospel. The start of John's gospel is the same announcement of Luke's gospel. And the announcement is this, and the word became flesh. We have our savior, the word became flesh. God and man, his name is Jesus. Ooh, what's the greatest part of Christmas? The greatest part of Christmas is stuck in our sin, lost in our sin, clamoring for a savior that God himself became flesh that we might be saved. And Matthew says, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The reasons I love Christmas are changing. The reasons I love Christmas are becoming better. 2016 doesn't seem that long ago. You all know my dad passed away. My dad loved Christmas. Some folks don't, he does, he did. He liked the gathering, liked the food. He liked the events of Christmas. I remember as a kid, we would strip cotton on Christmas afternoon. We'd come back and get all the food back out and have another go around that evening. He loved Christmas. His favorite song is Oh Holy Night, one we're gonna talk about tonight. His last Christmas on earth, he was sick. He was in a rehab hospital. They didn't wanna let him out, and so he stayed there, and we had a Christmas Eve service here at, at the church. I remember thinking, well, this is going to be tough. He won't be here. And, and my sister came, 
And she went to his rehab hospital there in Wichita Falls, and she took a radio, a jam box, and she played the CD, Oh Holy Night. And she said, we sat in the room, nobody's around, a pretty sad place to be on Christmas Eve at this rehab hospital, and she played Oh Holy Night. And she said they sat there and talked about Christmases of the past, and they both cried. About two weeks later, he passed away. Year goes by, comes up on the next Christmas, and it's, it's a weird time, and some of you are about to pass through this. It's a hard time. It's a good time, but it's a hard time. It's a different time. And for the very first Christmas that I've been alive, my dad would not be there. And you start to think about Christmas and what it's going to look like and how it's going to be changed. And then there's something that's different on this Christmas that never went back. And I'm going to tell you what it is. On that Christmas for the very first time, I could say, my dad is there. No work of his own. He, he didn't work enough. He couldn't have earned. He wasn't good enough. No effort of his own. He didn't, he didn't make an effort that impressed God enough that he invited him there. But by faith... In Jesus alone, my dad spent that Christmas in the presence of, of our Savior, Jesus. And I want to tell you on that, on that Christmas, Christmas 2017, I love Christmas even more. I love Christmas. I love all the things of Christmas. But on that Christmas, I love Christmas even more. And let me tell you something. I love the Savior of Christmas even more. You see, it was because of the Word that became flesh that we have a hope that endures, that has not ended. And I love my Savior on Christmas even more. We have our Savior. The Word is God, the message of John. And the word became flesh. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and I'm so thankful. Lord, I'm so thankful. And I come and I think about all the, all the things just tied up in these verses. And I'm so thankful that God saw me, saw us, saw us as sinners. Saw the pay, the, the, the the payment we could not make, the price we could never pay, saw our state perishing in sin. And because of your character, because of your integrity, because of your love, because of the grace that's part of you, on a single night, in the fullness of time, Jesus was born, born of a woman, born that we would have life. Lord, we praise you for that. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we exalt you for that. Lord Jesus, we lift high your name. We worship you for that. Lord, thank you. We praise you. Lord, we come and I pray as we, as we wrap up this sermon, this message, this service, I pray, Lord, that we would have a hope renewed, that we would have a focus renewed. And I pray for us, some of us that have lost folks, some this year, some that have lost husbands, some that have lost spouses, some that have lost kids, some that have lost parents, as we go through this Christmas, that we would understand the, the, the fruit of our Savior's work, the blessed peace of our Savior's provision. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this Christmas, that we would have peace that the world can't give, can't explain, can't understand. And I pray that it'll be a, a, a Christmas marked by worship as we stand in your peace. Lord, I pray for some in this room that do not know you. I pray for some here that do not have that peace. I pray that in the hearing of the word of God, the word Jesus, 
that today might be the day of their salvation. There is hope and there is peace. And Lord, I pray that they find it in you today, moving their hearts. And Lord, I pray that the fruit of both of these actions, believers walking in worship, lost folks hearing the gospel and receiving it, I pray that in both of these actions, you will be known, you will be glorified. We love you, Lord Jesus. We trust you. We praise you. And I pray in your name. Amen.